What's going on everyone? Jonathan here with the Venue RX podcast. And on this channel, we are passionate about documenting and sharing best practices around owning, operating, and managing world-class wedding venues. Today, we have one of those marketing style shows for you. And this is so important because this is the tip of the spear. You know, we're gonna be talking today about SEO and I am really excited to chat with uh, Roy Serafin today from Story and Community. Thanks so much for being here today, man. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's fun to talk about venues for once. I usually like we do a lot of stuff with photographers, so I'm like I'm pumped to talk all about venues. Just uh, to, it's a it's a little different. So move around. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. You have a background in photography, though, correct? Yes. So I've been uh, a wedding, still am. I'm a wedding photographer for like luxury and destination weddings. So I've been doing that for like eight years. Came from uh, Chicago area, then kind of started traveling all over the place with my brand, and then I was even in a book for uh, the pandemic. It's called. Um, the year time stop, sorry, it's behind me. The year time stop, the pandemic and photos. I was one of the featured photographers for that. So, uh, and it was a wedding. So it's it's a lot of, it's it's been fun. <laughs> wow. that Can you tell us a little bit about that? I didn't even know such a thing existed. And I, I mean, that's like really cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the one thing I was working on really hard during COVID was like trying to figure out, because I had a lot of couples who like, they didn't want to wait any longer. Some of them, my couples will go from like, I'll either be able to, it's like 30 days out there, well, they want to get married or I'll get the couple that's been waiting for like four or five years. So what we would do is like custom elopements and I would just have to make up stuff on the spot and figure out what would work and what would be legal and how to stay safe and um, all that. So we did a wedding in Chicago during the shutdown and everything. And um, this couple, like they were Chicago people through and through. They wanted to do, like they wanted to do a, a, a spot on the blue line, which is where they would ride home together every day. They wanted to do kind of a city tour. And so I just looked up the spots that they most that they were they were most often in, and then we booked um, one of the I, I can't even remember. I think it's, I always call it the Honeycomb, but there's something there's like this big pavilion in Lincoln Park um, that we rented out to do their ceremony. I actually officiated the ceremony and took all their photos. <laughs> it was a combination, but um, some of the images we took inside the subway actually got featured in uh, that book. And so now I get to say like I'm featured in a book, which is really cool. That's awesome. That's so cool. I am not featured in a book, so major kudos. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. How how did you get into photography at all? I love a good origin story, and I'm kind of curious, like why photography, why the events industry. How did you get started there? Yeah, it's um, it's a crazy story. So like, before I was a wedding photographer, I actually was a um, like uh, art director for an advertising agency in, in Chicago. I was, I think at 20, I was like one of the youngest ones uh, in the country is 21 when I was pushed art director. And if you don't know, kind of like the the totem pole inside of agencies is like you're a junior graphic designer, then you're a graphic designer, then you might get pushed up to art director, and then there's senior art director and whatever. So uh, an art director kind of runs, like we manage the graphic designers underneath us and make sure everything looks cohesive. And then we work with the creative directors and senior art directors who then push it out to the brand. One of my jobs was hiring photographers. I needed to come out, we were working with um, uh, one of the larger like fitness wearable companies, which I don't know if I'm legally allowed to say, cause it wasn't, it was like a, a branding thing. So we were working with one of them. I needed to have photos taken and I didn't speak the language that photographers tend to speak. Like I knew, I knew kind of what I wanted, but I, I couldn't quite describe what it was. So I hired a couple of photographers, got them to come to a shoot and kind of just bought my own camera and just followed around and kind of learned, which I think probably was annoying to them. I don't know. Um, but like the second the camera was in my hand, I was into it. I was like, I was mesmerized. I wanted to do it all the time. And I started going like every single night out into the city and just kind of like exploring the underground of Chicago and just shooting that. 
um, and finding, you know, I had some photographers I'd follow and I'd find their spots. The second you own a camera, uh, you get asked two questions. You get asked, are you a wedding photographer? And do you do boudoir? And of the two, I picked wedding photography. Um, <laughs> my first one, and then, and one of the stressful things about being an art director is I'd present something and then I'd be in like a room with 12, like slightly upset or like lowly caffeinated gentlemen who would either give you like like a thumbs up. That was like the, that was the goal of the day. Or they would yell at you for 45 minutes because a period was like in the wrong spot. Stressful. Um, we had one of those days where I was with them all day, worked like overworked on a project. And then uh, I also had delivered a wedding. And so I get this call from the bride and she's in tears. Like, I can't understand a thing she's saying. I thought, okay, I must've made everyone look like an Oompa Loompa. Something's broken. I don't, I don't know what happened because no words. And I still don't really know why she didn't call me until after she was like, calm down. But what ended up happening was she finally got through it. She goes, I just had no idea. My husband looked at me that way when I wasn't looking. And then I immediately just like, all right, I'm quitting my job. <laughs> so uh, that, that got me started into wedding photography. And then that's kind of morphed into helping other wedding photographers do the same thing I do. And then I got into SEO and now here we are. <laughs> wow. Wow. What a story. That's like such an incredible origin yeah. story. So, well, first, I'm super curious. What do you shoot on? So I shoot on uh, two uh, A7Ths at the moment that look like they went to Baghdad and got back. Like they made it, but there's there's just a bunch of stuff that's broken. <laughs> um, those are slowly being replaced. But honestly, like they've never failed me. They've never had any issues. They're perfect cameras. Uh, I'm a big Sony guy, mainly because I don't like switching lenses and learning new systems. So it's like partially like brand loyalty, partially laziness. <laughs> totally. I know I started down the Sony path and it's where, what we're shooting on right now. And then also, like you know, once you're invested into glass in, in a, yeah. a thing, I mean, unless you're going to go through all the hassle, of the converters and some of the different things, you're not going to, you're going to stay with that brand. Pretty much. Unless like, I think at this point, the, the most switch I do is like a little hobby camera that I can just carry in my pocket and take quick sna uh, snaps of stuff. That's probably it. Yeah. And, but I mean, Sony even has the ZV-1, right? That's like a very, you know. Yeah. It, trust me. That's been, that's been in my, that's, it goes in and out of my shopping cart like once a week. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Do so I need this? I have, I have the real ones. Yeah, exactly. What do it, do it not. I mean, but it's easier to carry around and you know, if you lose it or break it or something. Yeah, you're not nearly as mad you lost an actual camera. Yeah, exactly. And the lens. Um, so we're talking about SEO today. What was the switch from photography to SEO? When did you really start seeing like, wow, SEO is something I need to be paying attention to maybe even in your own business? Yeah. So, um, I, have been, it's weird. Every time I take a course from somebody, I end up being the poster child for the course. Like they're like, look how many results this guy got. So I was really into Facebook ads and then COVID happened. Um, you know, one of those things kind of just like just happened. And I was like, all right, I want to switch some things up. And I started really watching SEO and kind of learning, okay, this is how this works. And here's how people are searching for things. And I realized like I was getting more leads coming in from SEO than I was from ads and I was paying nothing for them. So that makes you go, okay, you know what? We can just get rid of, <laughs> don't need to pay for this if we can just up the, up the ante. So then uh, I ended up taking like eight or nine more courses on SEO in general and then reading a bunch of books about it and just kind of, it's like almost a weird hobby because I kind of feel like a detective when I'm playing with keywords and everything. So I'm like, all right, so this is how this works. Here's how we got to this page. Here's what they did on the page. Um, and I started like getting really good at it. And then people started consistently asking me, you know, hey, can you help me out with this? How does this work? I don't understand. Because I guess for a lot of people, like SEO can be super confusing. They don't know what to do. Or they don't know what not to do. And for whatever reason, for me, it's just like, it's a very simple, okay, this is user experience focused. 
let's get this figured out first. And so I just started helping more and more people and we help photographers and we help venues and, and uh, other wedding pros just kind of get some of that backlog off of their back so they don't have to learn a whole new skill or go to the nine courses or read all the books. I was going to say, I mean, you've been through the nine courses and you've obviously helped a lot of people at this point. Like you said, photographers, venues. Let's, I think a lot of, I agree with you hundred percent. A lot of people, me included, feel a little bit confused about SEO. We know it's important. You know, anyone who's looking at advertising and advertising, advertising budget or like, Hey, should we do for me, it started with boosted posts on Instagram, right? The most junior of, of things. I was like, a sponsor a post. Let's try five bucks, right? Yeah. And no, oh, that didn't, I don't really know if it did anything. And then, you know, Google ads, maybe you play around with and understanding CPC. And it does, it's all very kind of confusing because all the different dashboards and things. Um, for someone who's just getting started, maybe someone's listening to this podcast right now. They've just started their venue or their venue's in construction. And they're like, okay, I need to develop a marketing strategy, what place does SEO, like where would you position it with all of the other resources that there are out there, social media, other paid things, where, where does SEO come into play? Yeah, I'd say it's probably, it's ironically, I'm gonna say it's not first. The reason it's not first is, I think that when you're first starting out, um, you need to network more than you need to just like go out and, and write your whole site because the people that you connect with are going to tell you what questions the, the local community is asking. They're also going to tell you who the photographers are you want to reach out to to come and take photos of your brand new venue. So like that networking aspect is going to, it's going to pay dividends way faster than um, SEO will. SEO is typically what you consider like a long game. So you can have something come up and, and rank relatively quickly and give you results. Um, it's just not necessarily uh, the most likely path to do something like if you, if you put up, like let's say you write a blog today, it's probably not going to get you a lead tomorrow. On the other hand, if you write a blog today, it's probably going to get you a lead in a couple of months, and it might also get you a lead next year and the year after that. It's kind of the 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 catch twenty the catch twenty two of it. Most people actually avoid it because they see how much work it is up front, but they don't realize that you do all that work up front and you're kind of good for the most part. So let's work on the back end. Yeah, could you walk us through what execution of a correct SEO strategy? looks like maybe from a high level just to give us some context around what we're looking at beginning to end yeah so i would start out especially for venues i would start with like what kind of venue you have so if you're someone who has like a barn venue then you want to start with looking up terms that are related to barn venues if you have a um like a, a, an industrial venue same kind of thing you just want to find out what are what are the what are the things that people are looking for that are related to that um, and see what kind of questions they might have. Like, what's the benefit of working, of having a wedding inside of an industrial venue versus like uh, one of those more modern, super like high-end hotel wedding venues? Because um, those are going to be a lot of the questions that our people are going to have. So I'd start with that first, and then I would do some research. So where you typically do research, there's a few tools that I love. Um, but if you're trying to do this for free, which free is okay, it's not necessarily a bad place, especially if you're just starting. Uh, I would start with Google itself. So just type in, industrial wedding venues near me that's going to show you the top like it's going to show you the top venues that are coming up and and top websites that are coming up um, related to that search term so the, the first ones on that page that are not ads are going to tell you okay so this venue down the street's ranking this one's ranking this one's ranking and now you can kind of compare your website that you're building to what they're building as well as google has this thing called frequently asked well those are the questions that i would be making sure i'd try and fit into my website because each one of those is another search term. Um, at the bottom of it, you'll also see people also search. So bottom page of Google, uh, um, or they have this infinite scroll thing. It's still like after the, the first 10 results, it'll say 
people also searched. Those are your next couple of search terms that you want to do. Um, and then if you go even higher or further into that research, you're going to bring that into a tool uh, like SEMrush or Ubersuggest or um, really any other. I mean, there's a bunch of tools that you could technically use. My favorite, my favorite is SEMrush because um, it's so detailed and you can see what your competitor is ranking for and what you may want to rank for. And you can bring it in there and look up your term, see what websites come up as well as get some other keyword ideas and um, which ones uh, you want to add into that page. For most venues, uh, I've written... Uh, not just for venues themselves, but photographers uh, typically write blogs about venues that they want to write, they want to work in. So I've written probably 200 blog posts or posts about venues or pages about venues um, that have all ranked pretty decently. Um, and so uh, a lot of times you're going to see people want to know capacity. They're going to want to know price. And if you just give them like an opening door, like if I'm having 100 people come in, how much is it going to roughly cost me for your venue? What's it going to include? And then... Um, for those of you who have established venues, you have a bunch of reviews where people are most likely saying, hey, this is the best part about this venue. So you want to make sure you're including those spaces and photos of those spaces as well. Um, that's going to be probably like most of your um, strategy. The next thing I'll do is talk to a photographer and have them come in and tour for free because um, we do that. So a question about that. <clears throat> you're yeah. talking about photographers, copy. Is there some sort of best practice around how much of the blog should be visual content versus written content? Yeah, you don't want to have too many images, right? Because images are, they're, they're heavy they're heavy on load speeds. And Google doesn't like a heavy load speed because it's not as pleasant for the viewer coming to your website. If your website's taking longer than two seconds to load, what's going to happen is people are going to bounce, like they're going to bounce from your site. And the problem with that is the more people that bounce from your site, Google's going to notice that and go, okay, maybe we shouldn't be offering this as a search result. So I would say like, avoid the slider in the in the home page. Like when you first load up on your page, don't put a slider up there. It's the first thing that's gonna slide on your page. It's gonna make everything come slower. You can put it somewhere else. Like I have one on my portfolio page. That's not the first page that people are coming running into. You can put it on that page and then you can put extra photos at the bottom. I wouldn't go crazy with the photos either. Like find a couple of spaces that are really important to your, your, your place and maybe even a photo of your team because you guys are also part of the uh, thing that sells that that venue. And then kind of just move that onto other pages if you want to. You can have galleries or different. I, I would probably, my my route would be blog posts about different types of, uh, of weddings that you could have there. Because um, it's going to be more informative. And then you might hit something where it's like how to have an Indian wedding, an industrial wedding venue, or some other type of venue. Um, or And then like black tie and a few other styles. Like that's a better way to use those images. But yeah, the, you don't need to have a ton. I'd say like less than 20 is is like great. It's perfect. If you want to have more, I wouldn't go, I would not go more than 40. That's a ton of images. Um, and the big thing is you want to make sure they're resized and they're renamed after search terms. So you would take like, instead of being like photo 284.1995.jpg, you're going to go uh, industrial wedding venues in Connecticut.jpg. Like that would be a better name. That gives you a chance to rank that photo in Google for your your uh, your venue type. Huh. I noticed you you added in the Connecticut, so kind of a location tag there, at least to give some. Is that uh, strategic, or were you just kind of saying that? I was just saying a random city. But if you're if you're based in your state, you're if you're based in Connecticut, then yeah, you want to add that in. The more local you get, the better off you're going to be. So when you're spending all your effort trying to rank for things like 
wedding venues, like just that word alone, that's what you would call a short tail key term. And that's, it's good because it has, a, it has a ton of traffic coming to it. Like a ton of people are searching for that every single month. The problem is it's not specific to your region. And so what happens is the intent, the intent changes. So if I type in wedding venues in Connecticut, for example, I'm looking for a wedding venue in Connecticut. If on the other hand, I type in wedding venues, I might just be trying to find out what types of wedding venues are available. And then you're competing with like rides.com and wedding wire and all these other giant places that are going to, it's not impossible to rank over them, but it's going to be a lot harder because you're not being specific to your area. Got it. So then basically the strategy would be every, whether it's a <clears throat> blog, like a phrase in your blog, whether it's the way that you title your images, whether whatever you want to have kind of a consistent keyword. So if I'm in California, where we are right now, right. And we're in San Diego, we might want to say, wedding venue, California, but more specifically, we'd want to say wedding venue, San Diego, wedding venue, yeah. San Diego, wedding, San Diego, wedding venue, like different variations of that phrase so that it's connected down. Is that you want to sprinkle those in throughout the car, like kind of like don't, don't keyword stuff by any means, but you know, kind of have them kind of throughout your copy as you go through. And you should have a lot more copy than I think a lot of these websites have in general. The average first page result on Google is like 1300 words. You don't have to have that many, but I'd say like aiming for like 500 to 750 is like a pretty safe bet. You're going to be doing better than most of your competition who has one word in 47 photos. Is this on the homepage or are you talking about on the blog page? Oh, got it. It does. It's going to be either way. Got it. So then, so then talking, speaking about blogs, going back to that question where we were talking about the images, is there any yeah. best practice associated with how you lay the images out and how the text is laid out? Because I've seen venues that have, you know, 30 photos, all maybe in small little thumbnails, and then there's a block of text or large photo, two sentences, large photo, two sentences, like that. Is there any sort of like guideline around what works better than others? Yeah, I mean, Google is really, so Google is all about user experience. So if you want to talk about like how algorithms work, Facebook has, has one, Google has one as well. Google's is mostly focused on how do I serve this user's intent the best, but also how do I make sure their experience is great. And when you do like 30 photos in a row, like let's say you have like a Pinterest style layout of 30 photos, I have to scroll all the way through all those photos just to find out what that next step is. I'm less likely to even do that because of how much scrolling I'd have to do. So for like a blog post, for example, you wanna do like one, one decently sized a header image that has like a title in, in it and then like brief sentences. So we don't want to write like we're like, uh, like we work in uh, literature. Okay. We want to write for like fifth graders. <laughs> it's like the best way to put it. Fifth graders. You got to think about your guests. Like the average wedding guest probably having beers in the weekend and kind of just like chilling. They're just looking, they're casually searching. So the more simple you write that copy and, and content while still hitting on the important parts and what would actually sell your venue, the better. So um, think about it this way, like uh, a paragraph would be like three to four very, very quick and brief sentences. And then you can have another image or you could have an image on like the left-hand side and then like two or three sentences about a certain space inside of that venue. If you want to do a gallery, you can do that, but make sure it's all the way at the bottom of the article so that you're already getting the information first. And then um, you always want to add a contact form at the bottom of any blog you write. It's a huge, huge missed opportunity not to get leads coming in. So that's, I mean, you just kind of blew my mind for a second. So wait, a contact, so the full contact lead at the bottom or, or just like a link to the contact page? No, just put a full contact form. Huh. Yeah. Just think of like, why do they need to do another click to give you information they're willing to give you right now? They don't. 
So just have make sure that's that's there. Another uh, important thing to, to mention while we're talking about this too, make sure that contact form is part of your table of contents for that blog. People like to skip ahead. So having a table of contents is important and you want to make sure that if you are a venue or a photographer or anything else, you want to make sure they, they can access that contact form to talk to you for what it is you do. The contact form for the index, meaning um, the in in your search and your site or are you talking about the in the blog in the individual blog and in, in, in a blog you need to have a table of contents for it and what it does is it basically takes your header uh, tags which are um think of it like the structure of something so like you have an h1 that's the subject of the document and an h2 and an h3 are just sub subjects of that document you don't need to go crazy into like h7s and eights like that's unnecessary but um, those are the, those are going to be like jump points inside that document, especially if you're using like something like WordPress for your website, adding that table of contents and we'll go like, okay, so first we're talking about price. Then we're going to talk about capacity. And then we're going to talk about, uh, spaces and amenities, and then some guest reviews and then some like photos and then a contact form. Like that's going to allow me to jump ahead and kind of skip through because you got to realize people don't want to read the entire thing. We're speed readers as humans. Like most of the people are. They're looking for bold words. They're looking for bulleted, like bullet points. They want to skip ahead to whatever the information they needed so they can instantly get that dopamine hit and then get done what they need to get done. Yeah. What are they looking for? How do they get through the quickest possible? Reducing the amount of information they have to sift through. Totally. Huh. <clears throat> and something else that was just kind of clicking as you were saying that is maybe creating, because I know a lot of CRMs, you can you know, have a couple of different contact forms, maybe having a contact form that's specific to your blog so you can see how much traffic, track how much pr uh, traffic is coming. Oh, 100%. Yeah, so I don't even, I don't do it through my CRM for like my photography website. I do it actually through the site itself. And I just have it send me a different email name. It's like, okay, this one came from the proposal blog. This one came from the venue blog. This one came from uh, a roundup or whatever it is that I wrote. The reason you want to do that is I want to make sure that you're, you're actually getting leads from different pieces of content that you're writing so you're not wasting your time. You don't want people just to come to that website and then just leave. You want them to come and give you contact information so you can make money. Okay, wait. So you said something. You added something else in there really quick. So you said you go to the blog. You're on the blog, yeah. but you might have a blog that was like the topic of the blog was like the venue or topic of the blog was whatever, whatever it is, right? Sure. The, the different topics. You might have four topics. and But yeah. you want to know which which contact form is actually getting filled out the most, not just that they're coming from the blogs. You want to know detailed oh, information. I want to know which blog is actually performing the best as far as giving me leads. So if I write something and I see that it does, I never get any leads from it, I can go back and adjust that blog or I can see maybe if it's not getting traffic, I can move stuff around. But if I don't know and I'm just getting, okay, this is from my contact form, contact form, contact form, how am I going to measure performance? I have no idea. I don't know. That's a great point. That's a great point. <clears throat> Speaking of changes and things that you, like w when you're looking at these things, in what windows of time are you analyzing whether you make a change or not? Like how, how short is too short to realize there's no performance? Yeah, so it's a, it's, it's a varied question. So uh, with search terms, so keywords, right? There's different levels of difficulty. And what that means is, is it's basically just the competitiveness of each page. So how many other websites are writing about this particular keyword and how easy it is? So uh, SEMrush uses a scale of like uh, zero to 100. Something between like, something under the 20s is fairly easy. Like it's not that hard. Even up until like the 30s, 35, like that's not that difficult of an article to write for. But when you write something and it's at like uh, 65, 70, somewhere around there, that's something that's going to take some time. You're going to have to put a lot of effort into not just writing a really unique piece of content, but 
also making sure that the correct um like outs like the 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 vendors that would be connected to it are, are linked out to it and they've shared the article and they uh, maybe a publication like that would actually enjoy the article or use it for information also has that information. You need backlinks coming to it. Backlinks are links from other websites. So something like that, like it can honestly take up to like 12 months to get that stuff ranking. It could even take a little bit longer, but the lower term stuff, like the zero to 20 stuff that can rank. Like I've had one that ranked in like a single day. I've had one that ranked in three weeks. Like it's fairly quick. I just would say as a benchmark, I check within 30 days. I check again at 60 days. And if I felt like I needed to make um, adjustments, it would be based on whatever data I was getting back from like Search Console. Got it. Which is Google's platform. I was just going to ask about that. So what yeah. tools, I, I know you mentioned some tech tools in the beginning, some free stuff as well as some some paid stuff. What what does your tech stack look at? And then maybe what are you, what would you recommend for somebody who's just starting out, who's willing to pay? So you know, not saying that money is... Um, you know, they're not, someone's not willing to pay for this, but they're willing to pay. They want to start learning. They want to start kind of getting some accurate data and analytics around what they're doing. What, what's an ideal tech stack, tech stack to start out with? Yeah. So Google is always going to be the most accurate source of data for you. And they have two tools. They have uh, one called Search Console and Search Console is going to give you the, uh, the performance of your website in reference to search. So um, if you're ranking um, for like one page and ranking, by the way, is within the first 10 results or so on Google. That's what I would consider ranking. Like that's meaningful ranking. You can definitely get to page two and still get some context coming in. But after that point, like you could pretty much hide a dead body in those pages and they never find it. So when uh, something's ranking um, for that, you want to make sure that you're, you're, you're looking to see how many clicks per month it's getting, whether um, it's getting a bunch of impressions and no clicks or whether it's getting, it's going up in the rankings. So impressions, by the way, is basically just it's the results on Google. Somebody scrolled past it and then didn't do anything else with it. You want them to get impressions and then get clicks from those impressions. Um, like uh, a good rate for that, like a great rate would be like 30%. That's like super high. It's incredibly high. Anything under 2% and you kind of have an issue. Impressions to clicks? Uh, so impressions to clicks, yes. Yeah. So that means people who viewed it and then versus people who actually clicked on it. Got it. So you want to see that thirty of the of the people of all the hundred percent of the people that went and scrolled through, people are yes, they're seeing it, but then thirty out of those hundred are making the choice to click on your link and actually go through. Okay, thirty percent. That would be the best case scenario. That's like Got your it. position one, page one. Um, as you get lower than that, you might get somewhat lower. So it's not bad to see like two percent uh, up to you know obviously to the thirty. If you're under that two percent you have some room to grow. And that mean that may mean um, it's not going to be necessarily relevant. Like your page isn't seeing being seen as uh, relevant there. You might want to change the headline of the page, or you might want to change what's called the meta description, which is basically the two sentences underneath the title on Google. So, and I was actually going to go there next. So when you're looking for the things that impact the clickability, let's say of that first initial yeah. thing, assuming that you're not running any ads, assuming that it's just organic search, wedding venue, you know, whatever, Vista, it's a city yeah. here, right? In Cal in, in San Diego. You type in wedding venue Vista, you wanna see that yours, your search comes up or your your venue comes up basically. Um, let's say it's not like the, the, the heading is weird or something like that. Are there things you said meta description and then the headline? Yeah, the, the headline or header, it's, it's kind of an either or term. But so if you're looking at a Google search result, the headline is basically the underlying part. It's the actual link that, that 
it's like a, it's a sentence, but you can click on it and go to the page. The meta description is two. It's like one or two sentences, really, all you can fit there underneath it. That kind of gives more context to the link. So this is where copywriting comes into play really heavy. You want to make sure that yes, you're including your keywords in both of those spaces, but it also has to be enticing to click to the user you're trying to reach. So the more I like defined your ideal client's going to be, the better off that's going to be. So, uh, for example, you could write something like an industrial wedding venue for laid back couples. That's going to really connect with someone who thinks that they're laid back. You could write something like a luxury industrial uh, wedding venue in Vista for couples who are looking for that kind of thing. And then you want to make sure that copy backs it up. It's like, how are you? How are you luxury? How are you for laid back couples? What do you mean by this? Like that brief amount of space. And again, it's really hard to fit everything in because it's a tiny amount. Of, it's like, I think it's 160 or 155 characters for that meta description. It's hard. It's like writing a perfect tweet. Um, so it's going to take practice. But the better you get it, the higher that, that CTR is going to go, like the click-through rate. And that means the more people are seeing your website, which should mean the more people are booking your venue. Totally. This leads me to a question I actually, I, I wanted to ask earlier, but I'm, I'm, it's coming back to me now. What are, if you could pick, let's say three to five metrics when you're looking at analytical data on a website, I was going to just, we were going to spot check this right now. We were going to go on a website and we were going to take a look. What three to five metrics are you going to be looking at to determine whether this website is, uh, has good SEO and is really getting traffic versus all of the other data that I'm sure that you could get, gather? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a challenging question only because you can have good SEO on like one page and still get a rank, like get something to rank. Uh, um, so it would really be dependent on the search, on the, on the search result I'm looking at. Um, cause you can have that one, like maybe you wrote a really, really good blog and it, and it is ranking, but the rest of your website is garbage because it's, nothing makes any sense. I can't judge the entire site based off that one thing. So, um, I would check this though. Uh, let's say that there's a very specific term we're going to go look at. We want to make sure that's working. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pull that up in Google search console. That's where I'm going to see the performance data. It's going to tell me what position it's averaging at for the last 30 days. It's going to tell me how many impressions it's got, and it's going to tell me how many clicks it's been getting. So those three together are going to tell me something. So if it's got like a like a less than 2% click-through rate, I'm going to look at that click-through rate and go, okay, now I need to see what it looks like on the search engine result page. So the page of Google that it shows up at. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to compare it to every other um, page that that ranks up on, on Google for the first like 10 or 15 results that are not like crazy giant companies who have like 70,000 writers writing for them 24 seven. Um, so I'm going to look at other venues that are connected to what, what they are. And I'm going to say, okay, this venue talks about this. This one talks about this. I'm going to look to see what's, what's consistent amongst all those results and then see what I can't add into mine. Um, and then I'd also compare, like, if you have a featured image, like if an image comes up when you search for the, the venue, I want to see, like, does my image look as good? Does it catch my eye? Or is it something that I just think looks pretty, but in reality, you can't see it because it's like a tiny little square. Um, so I'd be looking at those things first to see if the page is actually getting traffic at all. And if it's not, then I need to work like, I need to rework the whole thing. Mm. So you're saying it's more than just looking at the CTR, the click-through rate. It's more than just looking yeah. at some of those kind of analytics. You you have to develop some context around it. Is, is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, so like you can fix like, okay, so if, if CTR is the issue, like you're not getting a lot of clicks, you can fix that by changing the title, meta description, and usually the featured image. But let's say that the, the CTR is fine, but then people are bouncing immediately from the page, meaning they're going to the page, it loads, and then they just leave. Well, that could be a whole copy issue. That could be a layout issue. 
that might be like some, I've seen some venues with pop-up ads. First of all, if you have pop-up ads, just get rid of those right away. Uh, nobody likes those. Um, you are creating a negative brand experience, but the bigger concern is like, okay, is it because what I'm writing is not interesting or is it because what I'm writing is too thorough and it looks like a book? People don't want to read books on the internet. Sad, but true. Um, and so like you have to look at that contextually and figure out which is the problem here that I'm actually having. Because if people are, are getting on the page, but then not staying, it's probably my content that's that's not solving an issue. You said pop-up ads. We got to talk about pop-up yeah. ads. Because I think we're using, we have pop-up ads. We have five venues we manage. Two of them have wineries connected to them. And we also right. do like open houses and things like that. And I know a lot of venues do similar things. They have an open house, they have a bridal show, they have a vendor showcase, right? And we have used, for two of those sites, we have used a pop-up to show um, that, hey, this is the date, come out, check us out, whatever. What I mean, talk to me about utilizing it in that way. Is there ever a place for pop-up ads or just get rid of them altogether? I mean, my my advice would be get rid of them altogether. Like, it's, it's such a negative experience. We're like, okay, I'm trying to read on a page and all of a sudden this pops up and half the time they're not implemented correctly in the first place. Like, if I click that X, I don't need to see that ever again. Like, it should not be coming back up. But a lot of times, because we're not major companies, because we don't have these teams of people that are setting these things up, you have this pop-up ad that, like, anytime I refresh the page or go back a page, that thing's going to pop back up. I'm going to get really irritated and leave. I'm not going to give you any of my information. So while the pop-up ad could be doing something, I don't necessarily think it is. And I would suggest that you'd be better off saying, like, putting, like, a little, uh, like, a, a call to action on that page somewhere where it says, like, hey, we've got events coming up. Do you want to hear about them? And then like they can drop their email in really quick and get sent like something free or some sort of tour guide or like for venues here, you could be giving tips on how to plan your wedding venue or like what they actually need for sure and what things that they feel like most of their couples are wasting money on. I'm going to give you my email address for that. And that allows you to email market me. And that's a whole different ballgame. But the pop-up is, it's like, okay, half of them, I can't find where the X is. And some people like to trick you with that. They want to put it on the left-hand side, which is not how eyes, eyes work. Um, or again, the same problems just keeps popping up. So I like, there's such a negative thing and it's such a nineties esque kind of aesthetic that comes up with those things. I would suggest they're not necessary. You can get rid of them. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. We've honestly, so we have, like I said, five venues that we manage. We have a team that does the marketing and we're like in experimental mode. We're like, let's try this. Let's try this. Like, like, let's see what works, you know? Um, but that's really, really good feedback. And I think a lot of venues and venue owners who are listening to this right now, <clears throat> maybe have played with those before because it seems like you'd raise awareness for everyone who's like hitting the site. They're going to see <clears throat> discounts or they're going to see a special like book your tour or like something. But it sounds like the user is not telling you that they want to see that. It, you're forcing it on them. Well, the user is. But let's also think about this, right? Like venues are just, they're, they're giant buildings that could be used for multiple purposes. Let's say you're having an art show and you want to do a pop-up for that art show. But I, I came to you because I want to get, I want to book my wedding. When you first show me that you're doing an art show, immediately you, you've, you've made it harder for you to get that lead because you started with a negative. It's not like people don't want you to have the art show. That's not, that's not the truth, but you need to give me the option to skip it. So it can also just completely turn you off just in general, depending on what you're trying to push. Maybe you, like you, you said, you're, you're at wineries or they're connected with wineries. Maybe you're trying to give them a bottle of wine. Maybe they don't drink. Maybe they just like the aesthetic of winer wineries, but they don't drink. So now you've got, you're like, hey, if you come here, you should drink. And now that person is going to look at you and go, I don't really want to, I, I, I just don't even want to do this anymore. So it can, like, it, it they can work. I don't want to, like, take it away from them. They can, mm. but I don't feel like it's worth 
the gamble. That makes a lot of sense. And there's other places that you can you can put it. And to your point about the the email marketing, saying, hey, sign up, like we've got a fun, like a, a vibrant event schedule, or we've got a lot of events happening, you know, drop your email in, we'll send you the calendar. Boom. Yeah. Well, and, and that's that's gonna give you something way more valuable than you would have gotten from a pop-up ad in the first place. Like the entire purpose of your website, like whether you realize it or not, is to get an email address or a lead form of some sort filled out. So when you have that and you can send them email marketing tips and you can be helpful, you can be super useful to your, your users coming in. Like imagine if you're a couple planning a wedding and like I like to say, like as wedding professionals, we've done hundreds and hundreds of weddings. We know stuff that they'll never know. It might be our 500th wedding and their first. So imagine if I could fix a lot of problems for them by just saying like, hey, here's some piece of advice. Here's how I can help you plan your wedding. Let me just send you a couple emails that'll show you how to fix that. All of a sudden, I have a much more positive like view of you, and I might be willing to pay you even more money because I trust you so much, because you haven't you haven't started the relationship by completely betraying that. Whereas a pop up, I feel like kind of does the opposite. It takes away that expertise and trust. That makes a lot of sense. That, that I just I'm like this is giving me a lot of fodder for for our organization as well, and I know people listening to this are just going to be like like on that same pay, uh, playing field. So you know. From a top-down direction, we've kind of talked about SEO, its impact, kind of how to do things that will frame your, your landing page, or I'm sorry, landing pages is where I'm going. Frame your homepage <clears throat> for, yeah. for ads. Let's jump right to it, for landing pages. Um, if you're gonna be doing Google ads, or you're gonna be running any sort of like traffic to a specific page, is there mm -hmm. any value in having keywords on that landing page? Because a lot of times the no. landing page is hidden. Yeah, so hide it from Google. Like you, you need to make sure that that page is what we would call non-indexed. It's not being added to Google's thing. Their, their bots are not crawling it um, because it's not gonna be a page that's there all the time. So you're eventually gonna get rid of it. And what happens is, is if Google crawls that, they add it to what's called a sitemap. And then once you're done with that landing page, maybe you're not running that special anymore. Well, that page is still in, that, is still in there and Google's gonna show that you have uh, a broken link somewhere. You've got something that's just not working. And the whole purpose of your landing page, if you're running it with ad campaigns, is to be specific and target people and have them land on that one page. So it is something that you shouldn't really be able to find on Google. Mm. You've mentioned a couple of times things that kind of kill SEO or kill the kind of the trust that you're trying to build with Google. One of those you just mentioned, obviously, broken links. What are some of the other things that you're looking for as far, far as like detrimental things on your site you mentioned slow load times could you kind of like give us that high level list of a couple things yeah so like slow load times are a big problem um if your site is not mobile friendly it's a problem or if it's like got really really low readability so like if you're looking at that site and you can't read it from like a few feet away and this is not to judge anyone who has like bad eyesight or anything like that but if you can't easily read it and your text is tiny that's a problem your text needs to be at least 16 points it needs to be super, and that's body text. That's not like the header text. Your header text should then be like double that. And that's a that's a design thing. That's like a contrast thing we want to see. We want to see like body text be 16 points and at least the header be at least 32. Mm. The reason we want this to, that, to look like that is because we need legibility. We need people to easily be able to go through and read without having to like look in and kind of scroll down. And I see a lot of that happening on websites. That's, that's uh, super problematic. Um, the next thing is like not having a defined path for people. So like they get to your website and they don't, they want to continue the relationship with you, but they don't know where to go. 
the thing is, it's kind of like negotiating your sale. Like when you're in a sales aspect, you want to be the person with the ball. You want to be the one who's moving the ball and saying, here's where we're going next. Here's where we're going next. You don't want to give that power to the person because you create what's called creative burden. I don't know where to go next. And now you've given me the option. So I'm not going to go where you want me to go because you never told me where that was. So um, for photographers, for example, this might be like, okay, my website flow should be uh, homepage to experience page to uh, contact page. For wedding venues, this could be uh, homepage to maybe gallery page or like some sort of portfolio page or frequently asked questions section of that page straight to contact, like set up a tour. Because I, honestly, I think that that's probably your goal in most cases. It's not necessarily just leads. It's probably, hey, come in and set up a tour. So um, that we'd have to like work through it. And it's going to be different for like most venues. Like we're going to kind of play around with what that would look like. But I'd say most likely you're looking at someone who wants to get their main questions asked. Um, so they come to the page, they can introduce the brand, they want to learn more. So then they can learn more about maybe the staff or maybe some amenities you guys have. And then from that point on, like they should be sold. So ask them to do a tour. We want to try and get them to, to give like inquiry information in like three clicks or less is like the goal. Hmm. Three quick clicks or less. Gosh, Roy, you've given me so much stuff that I just want to work on, on, on our sites. And I think yeah. probably our audience feels the same way. You know, as we wrap up today, what, where can people contact you at? Like if, if people have more questions or they're interested in maybe reaching out and having you help them with SEO, um, how, what's the best yeah. way to get a hold of you? Yeah, so uh, we have a website, storyandcommunity.com. Um, that's where you're going to find most of my information. Uh, and then we also have social media for that kind of stuff. So you can find us on Instagram at storyandcommunity.com. Our story and community is the, is the username. And then um, I also have a Facebook group for photographers. Uh, if you're looking for that kind of thing, you can come in there and learn some sales stuff as well. I, most of the sales stuff I teach probably could apply to venues as well. Um, those are the three biggest places. Um, and then if you absolutely need to reach me right away, uh, Roy, the photographer on Instagram, like that's a quick, like I'll answer you pretty quickly from there. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you sharing all this with us today. It's been like information packed and I hope folks go back and like rewind, pause, like take action on some of this stuff. Cause <clears throat> you're totally right. I mean, I've seen a number of different websites that like the contact button is not up in the right corner and you want to go there, but you go somewhere else. And like some of these different things that really hurt the ability of the venue to, to, get leads which is what we want yeah yeah it's it's there's like these little changes and it's annoying once you find out what the changes are are you really annoyed just like that's so obvious like later on like i look at stuff now versus when i started my business and i'm like man how did you not see that this is a problem it's 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 these little minute changes that make huge impacts in your business um and that i found that to be true in just about every aspect of a business whether it's seo website design lead handling or like even your sales process with your team um on selling the venue uh, there's always, it's always going to be like a little 10% tweak. And you're like, man, that was, I should have done that a long time ago because now I've got, you know, a hundred thousand dollars more than I thought I would. Yeah. Nice. That's, that's so impactful. Well, Roy, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me.